Welcome to the Deep Dive from the Walrus, a weekly podcast that takes a deeper look into everything we're working on virtually and in our offices. I'm Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode, we see the province having to funnel the money that's available for public housing into repairs and upgrades to housing stock that's deteriorated over the course of several decades and not really having existing funds to continue to build new housing that can meet the growing need. We'll hear from the Justice Fund writer-in-residence, Julia Simone Rutgers. She's a writer, journalist, essayist, and sometimes poet. She's written daily news for the Winnipeg Free Press and the Star Metro Halifax, and her work has appeared in The Globe and Mail, The Coast, and The Discourse. Julia Simone Rutgers is the first writer-in-residence at The Walrus, and over the next several months, she'll be investigating housing issues in Winnipeg and how it's part of the housing crisis that Canada faces as a whole. But before we take a deep dive into what Julia Simone Rutgers is working on for The Walrus, we want to do a quick check-in with the team at The Walrus Lab about the 2022 Amazon Canada First Novel Award because the deadline is quickly approaching. And to tell us more about that, we're joined by Elena Hamilton, the project manager for The Walrus Lab. Hi there. Hello. So it's that time of year again. After the holidays, always comes awards nomination season. Now, I'm sure people in the Canadian writing community know all about the Amazon Canada First Novel Award. But for those who aren't in the know, can you tell us about it? I'd love to. So the first novel award began in 1976 and it has been co-presented by Amazon Canada and The Walrus since 2014. And the goal of the award is to really recognize outstanding work by first-time Canadian novelists and ultimately to help launch a writer's career. And this is a pretty sought-after award, right? Like, when I've gone book shopping, I've seen the Amazon First Novel Award logo emblazoned on the covers of books that were shortlisted. Yeah, some of Canada's most beloved authors are past winners of the award, including Michael Andachi, W.P. Kinsella, and Mona Wad. Last year's winner was Michelle Good for her novel Five Little Indians, which is currently being made into a limited TV series. So we're very excited to see that. And the winner of this year's first novel award will receive $60,000 and the five finalists will each receive $6,000. And it's not just the first novel award deadline that's coming up. Tell us about the award for teen writers. Yeah, this is the fifth year of the youth short story category. So authors between the ages of 13 and 17 are invited to submit a short story under 3,000 words, and six finalists will be chosen, and the winner will receive $5,000 and a mentorship lunch with the editors of The Walrus. And the submission deadline for both categories is January 31st at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And all the details can be found on thewalrus.ca. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for having me. Get those submissions in, and we'll hear back from Alana when the shortlist is announced. All right, now here's my conversation with the Justice Fund writer-in-residence, Julia Simone Rutgers, about her investigation into housing issues in Winnipeg. Hi, Julia Simone. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Hi, Sheena. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit more about the story that you're working on. The story that I'm trying to put together right now is a deeper look, an investigative look into the housing crisis in Winnipeg specifically right now. The main question that I think I'm trying to answer is why do people choose to live in encampments? A lot of folks, I believe, choose to live in encampments as the safest housing option available to them. And I'm really hoping to understand why that is, what other options there should be, and why those options aren't working and aren't available for them right now. 
Housing is a major issue in Canada right now. As we mentioned, Canada as a whole is facing a housing crisis with white-hot markets like Toronto and Vancouver experiencing sky-high housing prices. But what made you want to focus on housing, in particular, in Winnipeg? As you said, yeah, housing is an issue that is facing all Canadians. It's an issue that has become increasingly important and to me represents sort of a nexus of justice issues. As climate gets more intense, people having a safe place to sleep becomes more and more important. I've seen from a sort of personal lens, housing crises in other provinces, I'm thinking specifically of Halifax here and Toronto as well, turn into major policing issues where people have been arrested, tear gassed, and generally treated quite brutally by police in conversations and and protests related to housing specifically. For me, it was a combination of watching situations unfold across the country over the last year that put housing, especially encampments, in the spotlight and a sort of personal investment in Winnipeg because I've been working here as a daily reporter for the last couple of years. And over the course of my work, I've covered a couple of encampments that have been taken down. I've covered a couple of sort of general housing issues. And I started to realize we are not in Winnipeg at that point of sort of white hot crisis just yet, both from, you know, a market price perspective and on the encampment side of things. But there are a lot of very vulnerable people in Winnipeg who are experiencing housing insecurity. And I wanted to sort of get at the root of the problem here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba before it escalates to uh, some of the situations that we've witnessed across the country in the past year. When we look at the housing crisis as a whole, Which communities are particularly vulnerable? In Canada, overwhelmingly, it's racialized communities, particularly Indigenous communities. Here in Winnipeg, in particular, uh, 66% of the people experiencing homelessness are Indigenous. So we obviously get into issues of colonization there. And then on a broader scale, you've got young people. A lot of people's first encounter with homelessness happens between the ages of 18 and 20. You've got vulnerable people with mental health issues, physical disabilities, sort of a wide range of marginalized identities that can make people specifically vulnerable to housing insecurity. Here in Winnipeg specifically, it's actually overwhelmingly men. 71% approximately of our current homeless population is men. We see that skew. It's largely adults, about half adults, but we also see a large portion of older adults, so 50 and older, and of youth. And particularly concerning, there are some unaccompanied children and minors who are experiencing homelessness. So it does affect a wide swath of the population, but particularly those who are are vulnerable for a variety of other reasons. Why in particular are you finding that it's more men who are impacted by this? That's something that I'm not sure if I have all of the answers to so far. The research would suggest that it would go the other way because a lot of people that are impacted by housing and rental prices are, you know, women-led homes. But I'm not 100% sure, honestly, of the answer to that yet. That's something that I would love to get into more in the research. As you've been going out and researching this, and as you continue to take a deeper dive into housing in Winnipeg, you've been speaking to a lot of people. Can you tell me about some of the people you've been speaking to so far? So on one hand, I've been speaking to some experts, some people who have experience with policy side of the housing issue. That's something that 
is going to play a major role in this investigation is, you know, how the policies have created the conditions that we see today. But from a little bit more of an on the ground side, I've been speaking to a now friend of mine, Robert Russell. I was mentioning earlier, you know, I, I covered some encampments coming down in the past couple of years. I met Robert this summer. He and, and several other people were being evicted from a very long standing encampment in one of Winnipeg's more vulnerable and low income neighborhoods. This encampment had been there for over a year, growing and changing over time. And the fire department was coming in to officially say, you know, this is the end and everybody needs to clear out. So I've met Robert at that encampment. He is incredibly outspoken about the policy issues and the housing issues facing himself and a lot of other vulnerable Winnipeggers. He's lived in cities across the country, and so he has a little bit of a a national perspective on what housing looks like, but he's from here in Winnipeg. And in the kind of intervening time between that encampment and when I spoke to him last week, he found some private rental housing and just had a very difficult experience living in a place that was not very well maintained. It's a little dramatic. There was a big fire at that apartment and he ended up living, you know, without heat, without power, without water for quite some time. And so we caught up on the phone last week to chat about his experiences and what he had to say about housing options in Winnipeg. The key issues are how somebody or any person who owns housing building or a house and he's renting it out doesn't have to really follow any kind of rule. There's nobody who really checks on this person, nobody who who makes sure that the place is up to code. I mean, it's basically a free-for-all. It certainly sounds like it's a very complex situation. What have you found out so far? As Robert mentions in that clip, there is a lack of affordable housing in Manitoba. And I know that this is an issue that faces cities across Canada. And I think what I'm starting to understand is it really does come down to a lack of available housing stock. Canada has long focused on making sure that its housing stock is available for home buyers, not necessarily for renters, and certainly not necessarily for people who are in need of affordable housing. So when we talk about affordable housing, the sort of standard metric for that is rent geared to income. So we're looking at rents that take up no more than 30% of any given family or household's income. And that's becoming increasingly difficult to find not only here in Winnipeg, but across the country. Historically, in Canada and in Manitoba, we have not focused on making housing units available for people who need affordable housing, who need rent geared to income housing. In the private rental market, a lot of the rent geared to income or lower income available options are not very well maintained. So here's Robert uh, speaking to that issue that he's experienced in his journey to find good housing. Like when you're desperate and you're trying to get off the road, off of being homeless, you're looking for anything. You're sick and tired of staying at like Shalom Mission or all these shelters. You're sick and tired of it. Like you're just done. And you're trying to find a place and whatever comes up is like, I don't care. <laughs> I just want to get off. I want to be able to put my head down somewhere and know that this is my spot. And it's perfect for these slumlords. So while the housing stock issue is something that faces Canada as a whole, in Manitoba specifically, we have long focused on having public housing available. So by public or social housing, I mean housing that is rented and maintained and operated by the government. 
And because Canada has been reluctant over the course of many decades to invest in that type of housing, the availability is in decline and it's quite expensive for the provinces to own and maintain. And so what we see is we're seeing public housing has increasingly long wait lists with not a lot of available stock. We see the province having to funnel the money that's available for public housing into repairs and upgrades to housing stock that's deteriorated over the course of several decades and not really having existing funds to continue to build new housing that can meet the growing needs. So we have more people in need of affordable housing, less and less affordable housing available to provide through the government specifically. There are a couple of other options for affordable housing, and that includes, you know, nonprofits, co-op housing. And I think something in particular in Manitoba that I'm hoping to look into is Indigenous-led alternative housing options. Well, this sounds really interesting, and we're really looking forward to seeing the final piece when it comes out. And just a final question here. How does this writer-in-residency opportunity give you the chance to really go deep into an issue like the housing crisis in Winnipeg? This opportunity is fantastic. I've become quite accustomed to the pace of daily news, which, though very important, can make it hard to spend time getting into the nuances of a story. I think even covering encampments this past summer, you can talk to people and get a sense of what the issues are. But at the end of the day, there are big system level problems at play here. And I think that this writer in residence opportunity, I have an amazing amount of time and support to just explore every possible angle. I consider myself a bit of a nerd particularly around history and policy. So I'm very excited. I've got the time to say, if I want to know about something, if I think it would be interesting or valuable or you know, a piece of the puzzle, I have the opportunity and the time to figure that out and to pull those pieces apart and get a sense of what the bigger picture at play is. And so I'm very excited that I get to learn as much as possible about this housing issue. Now let's check out what Julia Simone is watching right now. I am a little bit late to the party on this, but I have been really interested in The Crown. I got really invested in Princess Diana thanks to the You're Wrong About podcast. So far, I find it fascinating. I'm really actually quite interested in how they cover some of the empire aspects, the colonial aspects, their visits to other countries. I think it's fascinating. I, I'm getting a good big picture of the royal family. Julia Simone, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. That's my conversation with Julia Simone Rutgers. Her investigative piece about housing in Winnipeg will be coming out in the summer of 2022. I'm Daniel Viola, and here's what we've been talking about this week at The Walrus. Our story about how Canadian architecture is terribly, hopelessly boring. Got a lot of people talking on social media. Most commenters agreed with author Tracy Lindemann about the blahness of our buildings. But this week, we've decided to turn that idea on its head. If there's a beautiful building near you, please do us a favor. Just take a photo and tag the walrus on Twitter or Instagram. We would love to be proven wrong on this one. Many of us at the walrus are based in Ontario, which means that many of my colleagues were hit by that big winter snowstorm last week. Slack is full of photos and videos of people digging out their cars, as well as pets zooming around in the snow. But not everyone was impressed. 
our Edmonton-based colleague, Sheena, dismissed it all as a regular January day. We do have team members all over the world, however, who are able to live vicariously through these videos. I, for one, am in London, England, where, fortunately, it hasn't snowed once yet this year. And finally, Harley Rustad, one of the features editors here at The Walrus, just released his new book, Lost in the Valley of Death, a story of obsession and danger in the Himalayas. His book has been getting a lot of great buzz and reviews, including one from the New York Times. You can now read an excerpt of Lost in the Valley of Death on thewalrus.ca. As always, the links for all these articles can be found in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of The Deep Dive. It was produced by Angela Misery and me, Sheena Rossiter. Shane Giles edited this episode. Thanks so much to Julia Simone Rutgers and Alana Hamilton for joining us this week. Music for this podcast was provided by Audio Jungle. Our theme song is This Podcast Theme by Implus Music. Additional music is Stay Cool by Loops Lab, podcast intro by Implus Music, and Your Favorite Place, provided by Pixabay. Don't forget to subscribe to The Deep Dive from the Walrus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review and rating. It really helps people find the podcast. Until next week, when we take our next deep dive. <laughs>